we will be in 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy tonight as we continue our walk through uh, the Bible. And what we're going to, I'm just going to give you a little bit of background first, and then I'm just going to talk about Paul's challenge uh, to Timothy throughout, throughout the book. And there's so much here. It's only four chapters. <clears throat> I think I calculated it's, it's like 80 80 something verses I can't remember exactly so it's not very uh, very long so I'd encourage you to go read it it wouldn't take you very long at all to do but uh, there's just so much in it and so we'll try to just to hit the high points of what was Paul challenging Timothy uh, to do and to be so let's pray God we thank you so much for all you do for us we thank you for your word and how it speaks to us um, Lord even tonight we in second Timothy chapter 3 we see um, your word is profitable, and that it is God-breathed, and it uh, is good, it's for our good. And so we thank you for it, ask that you would speak to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as you uh, probably knew, if you were here last week, or if you're just somewhat familiar with uh, Timothy, uh, Paul was the author of this letter, as he was First uh, Timothy as well. This letter to Timothy uh, reads a little different because it's like his last will and testament to his spiritual son. Um, so it's, it's kind of like these are some of his last words to Timothy. So it's very important what he's going to be talking about here uh, because Paul knows that his time is coming um, to an end. And so he's talking to Timothy as a, as a spiritual son, kind of here's, my, here's what you need to know, here's what I want to challenge you to do um, after I'm gone. And so 2 Timothy has a little bit of a different, um, a different vibe to it, I guess you could say. Uh, than first Timothy, than uh, first Timothy did, and so we see that Paul was released from his first Roman imprisonment uh, for a short period of ministry, during which he wrote First Timothy and Titus chapter two, or Ti- Titus chapter two, and Titus. Um, so he wrote First Timothy and Titus after his first Roman imprisonment, while he was out and he was doing ministry and he was still uh, proclaiming the gospel and writing letters and all these things. Second uh, Timothy, however, finds Paul back in prison under the reign of the cruel Emperor Nero. So this time was not like the first. His first time he was in prison was, was like house arrest. So he was like in a house. People could come and go as they pleased. They could come visit him. So he had visitors. He had uh, friends who would come see him. Uh, he was able to write freely and, and, and do a lot of things. He was under house arrest. This time was different. He was not on house arrest, uh, like where his visitors and friends could come and go. This time he was in a cold cell in change, in chains, and he was awaiting execution. So he knew this was it. He knew, just like the first time he got out, he knew this time he was not going to be getting out. And so uh, he was awaiting execution. A little background here. Uh, the cruel and unbalanced Nero, he was the emperor of Rome from AD 54 to uh, the year 68 uh, in the first century, he was responsible for beginning the Roman persecution of Christians. Uh, it became very intense um, under uh, Nero's reign. So half of Rome was destroyed in July AD 64 by fire, and the people were very suspicious that it was, uh, who knows why, but they're suspicious that Nero uh, was the one who started uh, this fire. And so uh, because of that, he used the unpopular Christians as a scapegoat, saying that they are the ones who started the fire, they are the ones who caused all this destruction. 
And so uh, he used them as a scapegoat. And it was at this time that persecution of those who professed Christ uh, became severe. And it caused many to abandon Paul. You see in his letter, we're not going to spend a lot of time looking there. But Paul was all alone. Only Luke was with him. And so the first time in his house arrest, he had friends come and go and he had people with him. Well, at this point, people had abandoned him. The persecution was becoming very severe. And he was all alone uh, in prison, basically. So in this letter, Paul reviews this past. He analyzes the present and anticipates the future deliverance to God's heavenly kingdom, knowing that his time was coming to an end. Um, And this letter has provided comfort and encouragement and motivation to distressed Christian workers over the centuries. And so throughout all, since, since this has been written, it's provided encouragement for countless people uh, who have gone through persecution, gone through difficult times for the sake of the gospel. So it provided comfort, encouragement, motivation to these Christians uh, throughout the centuries. And it emphasizes the centrality of scriptures. It contains the clearest biblical statement of their inspiration. So go to uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, Verse 16. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God, or God breathed, maybe your version says, um, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this is one of the clearest statements in all of scripture, uh, speaking of the inspiration of, of the scripture saying it is God-breathed, this very word of God. So if you have a Bible, you hold the very word of God um, in your hands. Now, it's not in the original language, of course. The original language of the New Testament was Greek, but it's been translated, and so thank, thank the Lord for that. Thank the Lord for Bible translation that we can have it um, in our language. But the scriptures um, are God-breathed themselves. So that's just a little background on the book. What we're going to do is just kind of go through uh, this chapter, and we're going to look at Paul's challenge to Timothy. And he challenges him in several different areas, and we're going to start in chapter 2 first, and then we'll go back to chapter 1. But Paul recognizes that he was about to relinquish this heavy burden, and Paul was burdened for the churches. He went and he started these churches, and he prayed for them without ceasing. Uh, they were, it was a burden to him to see them grow. Uh, it, it hurt him when they, when they had fallen away or they, they were living in sin. It bothered him, and so it was a heavy burden. And he knew he was about to relinquish these, this heavy burden, and he seeks to challenge and strengthen uh, his somewhat timid but faithful associate, Timothy. We understand that Timothy, was a, he's kind of a, a timid person. Um, he was um, kind of sickly a little bit. You can, in uh, 1 Timothy, Paul tells him to take a little wine for his stomach and some of his health ailments that he had. Um, and so uh, he was, but he was a timid, kind of a timid guy. But we see that he knows what's coming. And in this letter, Paul commissions Timothy to faithfully carry on the work that Paul had started. So Paul had started this work. Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus. He says, I want you to continue this work uh, moving forward. And Paul modeled to him uh, what discipleship is about. And really what it's about is replication. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, uh, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men 
who will be able to teach others also. Paul did this with Timothy, and he instructed him to do likewise. He taught Paul, he taught Timothy, he says he's a son in the faith. He taught Timothy, and he entrusted the gospel to Timothy, uh, who was able to teach. He said, this is what you're supposed to do, is um, he's entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul did this with Timothy and says, go and do likewise, basically. There's four generations of lives that are transformed uh, in this verse that you see. The first of all, these four generations that you see, Paul is the first generation. He's the one who came, he started the work. Uh, So Paul, we see, he reminded Timothy that the source of his message for others was countless hours of preaching and teaching, uh, which he had heard the apostle deliver among many witnesses. So, so Timothy had heard this stuff over and over and over again in front of many witnesses. He'd heard Paul preach. He understood the teachings. And so Paul, he reminded him that the source of what he's supposed to teach is the things that Paul had teached. He said, I've taught you. Now you need to go and do this. The second generation is Timothy's generation. He is one who received uh, Paul's message. And what he had heard, he was charged to deliver now to others. And so now, the third generation is Timothy's disciples. So you see it's Paul to Timothy. Timothy takes it and replicates that to others. This third generation are his disciples. And these would be not random, like random people. These would be hand-selected, faithful men who were able to teach. That was one of the qualifications that he had. That he wanted them to be able to teach, so why? They can continue to rep- replicate themselves. These are faithful believers with the ability to teach. This was Timothy's disciples, which is the third generation. And the fourth generation is Timothy's disciples' disciples, if that makes sense. So this is the fourth uh, handing down, so to speak, of the word of God. So those uh, Timothy's disciples, these he would teach about the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So it's, it's one of those things where, so it started with Paul was given down, handed down to Timothy, and Timothy had heard the, uh, Paul teach. He'd been taught by Paul. He was going to do the same thing to these faithful men who were able to teach, and they were going to do the same thing. And then hopefully, eventually, those would do the same thing, and the same thing, and the same thing. Paul gives him this model and says, this is what needs to happen after I'm gone. And so the process of spiritual reproduction, which began in the early church, is to continue until the Lord returns. And if you know Christ tonight, which I'm going to assume that most of us do, you can't always assume that, but I'm assume most of us do, uh, somewhere along the line, somebody told you the gospel. Whether you grew up in church, maybe you were older, a little bit older in life, uh, maybe as a friend, maybe whoever it may be, but somebody also told them about Christ. Somebody told them about Christ. Somebody told them about Christ, and it goes all the way back. And so we need to keep this cycle going are you replicating yourself spirit the the process of spiritual reproduction that's what began the early church if you read in acts and it talks about peter preaching and three thousand souls are saved and then it starts saying x number of souls are saved x number of souls are added to the church and it keeps going on and on until it starts talking about not numbers it starts talking about multitudes were added to the church and so it's exponential uh, in growth when you know, if one person, if, let's say you come in here and you tell 10 people about Christ and 10 people come to Christ, they're saved. And then those 10 people go and tell one person. Well, now you've got 20. 
And then those, then I guess then those 30, and it just, it, it grows exponentially. I think my math was bad on that, but uh, I think you get, the, hopefully you get the idea. This is what, this is how the church grows. It's how it grew in the early church, and it's how it grows today, is that we bring the gospel to people. And this is what Timothy was challenged by Paul to do. So go back to chapter 1. And Paul seems to have had a reason, for some reason, uh, and it's not stated here, it's kind of implied though, but Paul seems to have had reason to fear that Timothy was in danger of weakening spiritually, that maybe he was growing weary uh, because of the, the, the pressure uh, that he faced. And this was concerning to Paul since he needed Timothy to remain faithful to carry on the work that he began. That was why, that's what he, uh, he had pretty much hand-selected Timothy. Ultimately, he, God did. But he was his son, spiritual son, who he was needing to carry on this work. And so he had this fear that maybe he was weakening spiritually, that he was becoming weary. There's no biblical indications as to why Paul had this concern, but it appeared to be evidenced by what he wrote. And the first thing we see is in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Verse 5. It says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, for I am sure, and now I am sure, dwells in you as well. And then if you go over to 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, verses 14 and 15, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing that, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So the first challenge here is Paul calls him to remember. He says, remember. He says, remember your grandmother. This is where this, this faith started, and it was passed on to your mother. Again, reproduction of faith. It's from the grandmother Lois down to the daughter Eunice, down to the son Timothy. And so he's calling him to remember these things. Um, and, and that's what we need to understand as well, is that our first and foremost, our priority is our family. Your family is your number one ministry. And so often, uh, people, you see so many people doing different Bible studies, you see them doing all these different things, and they've neglected the family. Well, our first priority, our first ministry in here is to our family, to our kids, to our grandkids. Um, and if, if uh, you don't have kids or grandkids, uh, the, the kids of this church, the younger generations. Uh, so this is uh, important. It's, we see that it started with a grandmother who loved the Lord. And then the mother loved the Lord. And now Timothy loves the Lord. He, he grew up knowing these things, which is why Paul says, continue in what you have learned and have been firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood, see it began as a child, how from childhood have been acquainted with the sacred writings which were able to make you wise for salvation through Christ. So maybe he was becoming weary and Paul encouraged him, he says, remember this. Remember your heritage. Remember, uh, and he says, and Paul says, I'm confident that the spirit indwells you. Remember this. And then also, remember the sacred writings that you are well acquainted with, even as a child. And so this is why our Awana program is so important. 
is they're learning God's word. They're learning the scripture and they're placing it in their heart. So this is why it's so important. And this was Timothy's testimony. He's a young man who grew up, you could say, in a Christian home, so to speak. And then he went on to serve the Lord. And so it's so important that we do that. That's our number one ministry, our number one priority as parents or grandparents uh, to do that. So maybe tonight you're weary and you need to be reminded of God's grace toward you that your faith might be strengthened. So Timothy appeared that maybe uh, he, was, what he, he was dealing with some, some difficult stuff and he was weary and he needed Paul to encourage him that his faith would be strengthened. Second thing we see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Verse 6. He calls him to continue to use his gift. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. It says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So he tells him to, uh, to fan into flame this gift of God, which is in him. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.14, if you go back to 1 Timothy, I'll I'll read it to you, you don't have to look there. But 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So he he speaks to Timothy a couple of times about this gift, the gift that God has given him. He says, you need to fan this into flames. He says, you need to use this gift. God's gifted you. You need to continue to, uh, to use this gift that God's given you. This gift probably refers to something related to Timothy's calling and the gifting for, this gifting for ministry. God called him uh, to be a pastor, and God equipped him to do so, and God gifts each of us in here differently. Every single person in here, when you came to know Christ, you were gifted with a spiritual gift. And Look, in our, in, even in this room tonight, every single one of us is different. And every single one of us has an important gift that God has given us. And we're to be using those gifts. And he's encouraging Timothy to fan, the, uh, fan into flame the gift of God. This gift is not specified, but it's implied that it has to do with his pastoral ministry. But such gifts, and the gifts that we have as well... They tend to fade in strength when they are not used and encouraged. So when we're not using the giftedness that God gives us, they can lose, um, lose their power um, that God wants them to have. So he tells them to continue to fan into flame the gift of God and to use it for his service. And that's what he's telling us tonight as well, is what is the spiritual gift that God, how has he gifted you spiritually and it could be any number of things. It doesn't mean that you have to speak. It doesn't mean you have to teach. It doesn't mean you have to... Uh, that's not what it's talking about. There's a lot of different gifts. There's the gift of compassion, the gift of empathy. Uh, there's the gift of hospitality. And the list goes on and on and on. And there's so many people at this church who are behind the scenes. Gift of prayer. We have a, a, the pastor's prayer partners who pray every Sunday morning. And by the way, anybody can do that. They get together and they, and they go to every classroom and they say that they, and they pray for each and every teacher, each and every classroom on Sunday mornings. And most of the time, nobody even knows they do it. But God does. And they pray with our pastor before the service um, at 845 on Sunday mornings. Anybody can do that. 
what is, how has God gifted you? And are you using that uh, in his service? And each of us needs to be doing that. The next thing we see is in chapter 1, verse 7. It says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And Paul is encouraging Timothy. He says, replace your fear with power, with love, and with self-control. So clearly, Timothy was timid, and he struggled with fear. Paul says, that's not from God. Fear is not from God. He says, you need to replace this fear with power, with love, and with self-control. The spirit here, uh, not a sp- when he says, not a spirit of fear, uh, the spirit here is talking about, not, it's not talking about the Holy Spirit, It's talking about two different attitudes. Two different attitudes. So the spirit of fear could be translated timidity. timidity, uh, And that denotes a cowardly, shameful fear caused by a weak, selfish character. It says God, God is not the author of fear. He tells Timothy, God is not the author of that. Since this is not a byproduct of God's presence, it has to be coming from somewhere else. So... Timothy, maybe he was weary, maybe he was struggling. Uh, we don't know, it's not, it's not mentioned here. But maybe it was a threat of Roman persecution, which was getting, very, was getting worse and worse all the time under the emperor Nero. Maybe it was the hostility of those in the Ephesian church who resented his leadership. He dealt with that. He also dealt with false teachers and the assaults and the accusations of them. And so maybe this was just wearing on him causing him to fear. But the, but the antidote to fear is found in the resources of God. First of all, he says, uh, he says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power. So power, he's talking about this divine power for effective, productive, it's, uh, effective, uh, productive spiritual energy. That even when you're weary, even when you're being attacked, even when you're being persecuted, this divine power of God helps you to go through it, makes you effective, and it gives you productive spiritual energy, the energy to persevere. Second thing is of love. And love centers on pleasing God and seeking others' welfare before your own. It means I care about you more than I care about myself. I care about pleasing God and not worried about pleasing man. It says this is a resource of God. We experience the love of God and now we can love, and we need to love the way that he does. Again, not perfectly, but we've experienced the love of God. So divine power of love and of self-control. Another word, other versions will say a sound mind. Sound mind. So this is speaking of a disciplined and properly prioritized mind. Is that we order things in our mind and we, and we can have focus in what God's called us to do. Even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of trouble... God, he, by his divine power, he gives us this spiritual, this, uh, spiritual energy to where we can love others and we're laser-focused in what we're doing. We know why we're doing what we're doing and we know where we're going. It says these are the resources that God gives every believer. It says this is what you need to do, uh, Timothy. So this is the opposite of fear and cowardice that causes disorder and confusion. By the way, James 3.16 talks about self-seeking. And when there's self-seeking, there's sin and every, or there's confusion and every evil thing. So if you think about sin, 
who does, what does every sin, where does it start? Who are you thinking about? Every time. Self. I'm not thinking about others, or the welfare of others. I'm thinking only of self. And so when with this, this opposite of fear and cowardice, it causes disorder and confusion. Ultimately, when we fear, who are we thinking of? Self. Self-preservation. It's all about me. And, my, and, and, and so it's, it's, we have to understand this. And Paul's saying, this is, not, this is not the spirit that comes from God, the spirit of fear. Uh, however, but of power and of love and self-control. So focusing on the sovereign nature and perfect purposes of our eternal God allows believers to control their lives with godly wisdom and confidence in every situation. So he's telling Timothy, it's, yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, you're going to suffer for Christ's sake. Yes, you're going to be talked bad about and accused uh, by false teachers and things like that. However, God will give you the power to go through it and walk, walk in a way that honors him and that you will be able to do it with wisdom. This is the resources that God gives us. He reminds Timothy of that. So Paul tells Timothy, when tempted to fear or shrink back, remember the resources that God has made available to you. This is what he's, this is what he's challenging Timothy to do. The next thing, the next thing he challenges, it, we see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 14. 8 through 14. And he tells him, he encourages him, he challenges him to not be ashamed. 2 Timothy 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now had been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which, uh, which uh, is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So he's encouraging, he's challenging Timothy to not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of, he says, it's a, and what he's reminding him is that it's a privilege, and it's hard for us to understand, but it's a privilege to suffer for the gospel. It's a privilege, he's reminding him, I'm, this, Paul saw it as a privilege to suffer for Christ. And he's telling Timothy the same thing. Uh, it's God's call, he says, um, don't be ashamed. He says, it's God's holy calling on your life according to his purposes. And God called you before the foundation of the world. It says, God placed this calling on you, Timothy. Continue in it. Don't be ashamed of it. It's God's calling according to his purposes. And Paul says, he has saved me. He's called me and he's appointed me. This is why I suffer for him unashamed. And he says, Timothy, you should too. You should too. Because Paul says, he's done this for me and he's done this for you. He says, he saved you, he's called you, and he's appointed you. So you can suffer and he gives you the divine power to do so. We already saw that. He gives you the divine power to do so, to suffer for him unashamed. And then he finally tells him to guard the deposit entrusted to you, the deposit, the gospel, the Holy Spirit. He says, guard this. 
proclaim this. And so we can see there in those few in those verses there in chapter one that Paul could see that maybe Timothy was was struggling a bit. He was struggling a bit, and he encourages him with these different things. And then he continues on in chapter two. Paul challenges Timothy to share in suffering as a good soldier. Again, you see you see Paul talking about suffering a lot. He's like, I'm suffering. You're going to suffer for the sake of the gospel. He's talking about this. And he reminds Timothy um, or challenges him to share in the suffering as a good soldier, as an athlete, and as a hardworking farmer. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. To share the suffering as a good soldier of, of Christ Jesus, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So he uses real-life examples, and these are real-life examples that even in our day we can understand. He says, first of all, share the suffering as a good soldier. Soldiers have a, particularly in times of battle, it's tough. It's hard. They see, they see devastating things, yet they continue forward. They continue to endure it. Why? Because they want to please the one who enlisted them. And so when we're going through life and we're, we're struggling with persecution and it's hard, we endure because we desire to please Christ um, who enlisted us. It talks about an athlete and the training these athletes do. Think about even... You know, there's all kinds of different athletics, but think about the Olympics. And so the Olympics just ended. And so what are these guys, what are the ones who are going to try to come back again? What do they start right away? Training. And they work hard and they're diet and they, they have very specific diets and workout things. And they're going to do this for four years. Why? So they can compete as an Olympian again. Paul says, this is how we are to live our life as believers. And then he talks about as a farmer. My father-in-law, is a, he's a farmer. He's a retired farmer now. But farmers work hard and long hours. And uh, there's, um, you know, I remember my wife, talk, my wife talking about not being able to go on vacations and things like that because there's sprinklers going. There's uh, stuff that had to be done. They couldn't leave. And so this is, farming is hard work. It's hard work. He says, this is how we are to live our lives. And he he challenges Timothy, when you suffer, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier, as an athlete, as a hardworking farmer, that you work hard and that we endure by the divine power of Jesus Christ. So he's telling him to do and reminding him that. The next thing we see is that Paul reminds Timothy where the power to be bold, the power to suffer, the power to endure and to make disciples comes from, and it's the word of God. Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy, Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. And we want to read through chapter four, verse five. <clears throat> so Paul reminds him, this Timothy, where all this, where this power to be bold and suffer, uh, to endure, to make disciples comes from, and it's from God's word. Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is 
uh, to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing uh, in his kingdom. And here's the, here's the, the command. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure, endure suffering, do the work. Uh, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. It says, God's word is the power. He says, and then he, he clearly says to preach the word. And then in chapter, verse 5, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. God has a calling on our life. And no, you may not be a, a pastor or a missionary, or, or, but God has, he's placed a calling on your life. And he saved you for a purpose, and that purpose is to honor and glorify him and to share the gospel. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. And Paul's going to say here in a second, you'll see, that his ministry is being, has basically been fulfilled. And now he's handing the torch to Timothy. You see, we need to be reproducing ourselves. And again, it starts at home. It starts with our families. We reproduce ourselves uh, in our kids, in our grandkids, um, whatever applies in your situation. And finally, we see that Paul requests Timothy to come. So he gives him encouragement. He challenges him. And finally he says, hey, I just want to see you again one more time. One more time, I want to see you. And Paul requests Timothy to come. In 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Actually, verse 6. And Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only me, but also, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans uh, has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Titus, I have, set a, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left in, uh, with Carpus at Troas. Also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm. And the Lord, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he is strong. He strongly opposed our message. So he kind of warns him about this guy, Alexander. At my first defense, no one came to me to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through the message might be fulfilled, proclaimed to all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Kind of the last words we see of Paul. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. My time has come. Timothy, and I'm sure when Timothy came, we don't know if Timothy ever made it before he was executed. But I'm sure if he did, uh, Paul continued to encourage him and instruct him and help him. Uh, be ready. But the point of all this uh, we want to get is that 
we, all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. We're going to go through it. Um, we've been kind of shielded from it at, up to this point in our, in our country. But things are getting more and more difficult. It's becoming harder and harder to be a Christian. It's getting more difficult. And for our kids and grandkids, it's increasingly difficult. And we need to be that model that we're willing to endure when times are difficult, that we're willing to take a stand for what's right, that we can be bold and suffer to the glory of God for the sake of Jesus Christ. Paul did this. Paul did this. God's placed a calling on your life to proclaim the gospel. And that's what, that's that, And we need to fulfill this calling until the day that we die. And again, Paul, in verse 7, he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And see, isn't that what you want to say? Isn't that what you want to be able to say uh, in your last days? Is, is as Paul, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. He says, now finally, I'm going to be in glory with Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy, you saw my life. You saw my example. You heard my teaching. Now you go do that. And that's the call for us as well, is that we go do that until the day that we die. Is that whatever, however God's gifted us, we use that gift. We don't retire. We don't retire from, from Christian service. We, we continue to serve. Stir up that gift in us and, and that we continue to serve God. Uh, this, is what, this is what Paul is calling us to do. This is what God's calling us to do is that we serve him with all that we are until the day that we die. And so that one day we can say as Paul, I've fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished the race. That's what we, that, that is the goal of our life, is to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ till the day uh, that we die. So that would be the challenge from tonight. Timothy was struggling. He was struggling a bit. Paul encouraged him. Paul loved him. And Paul wanted him to see him grow. And so he was teaching him to do so. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for all that you've done. And God, I do ask that you would help us, uh, as Paul, uh, help us to be people who encourage. Uh, Paul encouraged Timothy. When Timothy was struggling, he was, he was there to encourage him, to teach him. Uh, help us to see and, and recognize and understand the centrality of your word, is that it is the power of to do what you've called us to do. And I ask you to help each of us to stir up the gift that's in us, that you've given us, that you would help us to, uh, uh, that you help us, that you would strengthen us to fulfill the calling you place in our life, that you would give us a, not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of, of power and of love and of a sound mind, that we might uh, be unafraid and unashamed to take a stand for what's right and to, prepare, and to uh, proclaim the gospel. And Lord, I ask that for each one of us in here tonight, that when it comes to the end of our life, we'd be able to say as Paul that we have fought the good fight, that, we've kept the, that we have finished the race, that we've kept the faith. Uh, may that be said of each one of us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.